Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. We have an enemy. We refer to him as Satan, the devil. We, called, we saw all the different names in the scripture used for the devil. He's our adversary. He's our enemy. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. He's opposed to God. He's opposed to you. He's a deceiver. He steals, kills, and destroys. He's your enemy, and he has certain tactics, certain strategies that he uses to try to, to, to pull you down and try to interfere with your walk with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, it's talking about the importance of forgiving someone just prior to that. But in verse 11, very important, it says, so that Satan will not outsmart or take advantage of us, for we are not... For we are familiar with and we're not ignorant of his devices or his schemes or tactics. It says, we, here it's talked about, don't be outsmarted by the devil. Don't let him take advantage of you. Be aware that there are certain tactics that the enemy will use that will interfere with you, that will draw you away from where your focus needs to be, that will interfere with your life as a believer. So he says, be aware of that. Now, keep in mind, we always remind ourselves in this that Though we are to be aware of his tactics and his schemes and everything, his power has been defeated. You understand that you're an overcomer, that through Jesus Christ, you're an overcomer. So even these things we talk about, as far as his tactics, you can win over them. You don't have to succumb to them. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says, Put on the whole armor of God, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or tactics of the devil. And he describes, he says, you put on the belt of truth, the breastplate, the body armor of righteousness. You have your feet shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, you put on the shield of faith, the heaven of salvation. Take on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand and resist the tactics that the devil will try to use on you. Because he is defeated. The Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. James 4, 7. 1 John chapter 3 says, For this purpose the Son of Man, Jesus, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So through him, you and I have victory. I think that's a good thing, don't you? Don't you? Now, five of his favorite tactics, and let's recap over the last few weeks. We talked about one of his tactics is deception. And it's so dangerous because a person who's, who's deceived doesn't know that they're deceived. So deception is a powerful tool of the enemy. Dread or fear is a tool of the enemy. Some of you have been hammered with that at times. Discouragement. I know that we've all dealt with that at one time or another is a tool of the enemy. And today we're talking about distraction. Now distraction is the lack of ability to pay attention. The lack of interest for something. You lose focus. It's when you shift from something that should be your main attention to something of lesser importance. Distraction is a diversion of attention. It's like with a magician. The magician will do a, what we call the sleight of hand, which means that he's going to draw your attention to something that he's doing so that he can perform the magic or so that he can do what he does and you not be able to recognize it. He'll have your eye focus on one thing while he's doing another. So it appears to be magic. I know there's examples. I don't know whether they still do that or not, but back I remember days in in school to where you found out after a while what your teacher's favorite subjects were or what they really liked to talk about. 
And if you really wanted to get through the rest of the class without covering more material or without perhaps taking a test, you could very subtly get that teacher focused on that particular subject that he or she was passionate about, and there we go. You distracted her. It was a diversion, which is what the military uses. It uses diversionary tactics to draw the enemy's attention in one way while they attack in another. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that we live in the most distracted civilization in the history of the world. Civilization in the history of the world. It's unprecedented. The phone dings with every text and tweet and email. And we're becoming conditioned to it, which maybe is a real danger. And there's also, people can look at distractions as just a means of escape. A lot of us can identify with that. You know, I'd have to say that there are times when a change of scenery or just doing something to get your mind off of another thing is not necessarily bad. Sometimes you just need a break. Oftentimes that's what things like television will do. If you, entertainment, is, is, it, it causes you just to kind of check out and it becomes a, a method for you to just zone out, zone in on that and, and out of everything else. So it's something you choose to do to get your mind off of something you don't want to dwell on. So I suppose in some instances it might serve a positive and in a positive way, but most of the time being distracted is a very negative thing. James Hopkins Health Review published an article entitled The Cult of the Busy. And it was talking about our civilization and said it's a global epidemic that it's destroying people's health with stress that it's actually shrinking their, the brain gray matter. And it says that, and here's the, here's the amazing answer that they give, if you want to overcome this, here's what you do. Everybody listen, here's, they have the answer. Here's what you do. The key to gaining control over your time is to do less. Wow, such brilliance. If you've got too much going on, I tell you, here's what you need to do. Do less and get rid of some of that stress. There's truth in that, I think. We have, uh, we have the ADD generation, the attention deficit disorder. And I understand that that, that can be a very real thing. Chemical imbalance, other problems are there. It can be a very real thing. I also know that it's often diagnosed uh, that it's misdiagnosed. But there are a lot of times that the so-called attention deficit disorder could be handled through nutrition and through proper discipline. So it's not always a sickness. Sometimes it's used as a cop-out. So it does need to be dealt with, but we do have so many children that are doing that. Why? Look at our society. You don't pay attention to anything very long. I mean, we're so, we're so obsessed with the visual. We have to be moving very quickly. This thing of going back and reading books or just meditating or even getting out and and using your imagination and playing games has somehow escaped most of our children. Now it's hold a media device in your hand or sit in front of a TV and play a particular game. Day after day after day after day. It becomes a convenient babysitter, but all too often we overlook the fact that it may be gaining control of our children in some areas where we, this could be detrimental to them. So all these distractions can be harmful. There's nothing necessarily means anything wrong with doing some of these things. It's about... It's about being absorbed with that, about manipulated by them, controlled by them. 
Uh, we could call it ADD, the attention deficit disorder, or we could call most of the generation today the ADD, the always distracted disorder. Now, there's kind of three main ways that people can be distracted. And let, let me compare it to an automobile, to a car. There's the visual distraction. That's, that's with your eyes. That's when you begin to look in the, wrong, in the wrong direction. That's taking your eyes off the road. Then there's the cognitive or mental distraction. That's when you take your mind off driving. Has anybody ever had this happen? You know, does any of you ever kind of daydream while you're driving? You know, a lot of people like to have radio on and or music, worship, and things like that. And that's good for me, good times. We are somewhat like that. We are different. She likes if you get it. She's, she now has the earplugs and everything so she can rock and sing whatever, you know, the worship songs, stay with it, listen to sermons, messages. And that's good. I like some of that. But most of the time when I get in a car and I'm driving, it's fine with me to not have any noise at all. Now, is that just a sign that I'm getting old or what? I, I don't know. But for me, and I can go back several years in that and look, that when I get out and drive, particularly long distance, I like just drive, and that's when the, the wheels turn. I, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm going over things. I'm planning. I'm visualizing things. It's just a time that, that that's, that's what I do. And um, I can find sometimes, though, that things like that can distract you from what you need to be paying attention to while you're driving. I don't know whether this ever happened to you or not, but this is really weird that you can be driving down the way and you know where you are, the particular location, and in a little while it's like you come to yourself and you don't remember, what you've, you don't remember that you passed that particular town or place. All of a sudden you show up. It's like you've been transported there and you don't remember getting there. So distraction, well, it could be a little bit dangerous, I suppose, in that sense. So there's the visual, there's the mental, cognitive, and there is the physical that's not taking your hands off the steering wheel. That's letting things there. That's, that's something that you actively do where you're being distracted. Distractions of life can dictate your decisions and it can control your schedule. It's like you get up in the morning. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Well, no, some things may be necessary. I understand that. But when you get past those necessary things, what is you do then? Well... <laughs> What do you do? Well, a lot of people, they got checked in. The first thing goes on is that their, their media device, their phone, or the computer. And check the email, check my text, catch up on Facebook, look at the news, and you kind of find yourself, you know, just going to do that for just a few minutes, and you get caught up on it, and like an hour later, an hour later, you've realized you've been, you know, flipping the screen down. The, you know, this is something we just have to guard over and watch. The problem is that it all, it all seems important to us. It seems like it really needs to be done. It's necessary. But we've tended to allow a million little things to try to do a million little things or pay attention to them and leave the undone things, the, the big things, what is ultimately important. We've done what seemed necessary and neglected what's essential oftentimes. So distractions, what, the, what can they do? Distractions. And call, we know they can cause anxiety, stress, frustration. They can rob you of your time. Distraction can cause you to miss, an, uh, miss the important things in your life. It can limit your productivity. It can cause you to miss God's purpose for your life. Distractions. We have to learn how to deal with them. What do we do about that? Let's look at a couple of examples in the Bible for just a couple of minutes. First of all, I want to talk about distraction by expectations or distracting, being distracted because of expectations. Demands, busyness, activities. One of the notorious stories 
in the scripture that points this out, and many of you would know, is the story of Martha, the story of Mary and Martha. And bless her heart, she kind of gets a bad rap on this, I think, with many people, but uh, she really meant well. She absolutely meant well. And most of us know the situation there. Jesus and his disciples, and usually it was not just the 12, there was an entourage that traveled with him. So it could have been, it could have been 20, 30, 40 people. They had traveled to Bethany and they came to the house, to the house of Martha and Mary. And, uh, and, and their brother, Lazarus, also, you remember Lazarus has died, the guy that died and was dead for a few days and Jesus came back and Lazarus was raised from dead. Well, this is the house he visited them from time to time. It was a regular stop. So he came by and they were going to be there uh, for a little while. So Martha's busy. She sets out to make her guests feel welcome. Maybe she drew water from the well and for them to wash themselves. She got the oven up and going, ready to prepare the meal and pots and pans out. And all the while she was doing that, she could hear Jesus talking, Jesus and his disciples talking. And, and there her sister was, there was Mary just sitting there. She was just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. She was just sitting there and listening to Jesus talk. And Mary was back in the kitchen doing all the work. Now, she probably dealt with that for a little while, but then it began to bother her more and more and more. So she probably began rattling the pots and pans a lot louder and trying to get the attention of her sister, but nothing seemed to work. So the longer she stayed back there working, the more frustrated and angry she probably became as she was listening to the crowd going on, probably having a good time. And there she was working. And in the process of that, she lost her joy and she grew increasingly distracted and annoyed and frustrated. So finally, we read about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 40 and 41. We read the fact that she was distracted by her many tasks. She was distracted by her many tasks. She, had, she just finally had enough. So she goes to Jesus and she says, she asked Jesus a question. She says, don't you care that Mary has let me do all the work? Now, Jesus was probably already aware of what was going on there. And his reply was probably not the one she expected. If I'd been her, I would have thought, well, Martha, you're right. You're back there working hard and somebody's got to do it. Mary, it's time that you get up from there and go back and help your sister. I mean, in my thinking, that's what would make sense, but that's not what happened. And I'm sure that Martha was probably shocked when Jesus responded. And then, of course, he was very compassionate in how he responded. He said, we could say, dear Martha, or Martha, Martha, it was a kind response. You are worried and distracted by many things. And actually, the word there where it says worry and distracted, in the Greek, it actually shares the same root word as uproar. Or riot. So we kind of say, Mary, you are in an uproar over things that are happening back there. And Jesus says there is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part. Well, you know, that to me, I wonder what the expression on her face was when he said that. Because here's the thing Jesus was never wrong. 
And so if he said that, he was right. And I think she knew right off the bat he was right. I've been frustrated. I've lost the joy. It might not have been anything wrong with me doing this, but I should have been doing it with joy and doing it to honor him and to bless others. But instead, I'm back here doing it out of obligation and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and nobody else is doing their part. So she lost focus on what was really important. Mary's focus, it wasn't so much the one thing, it was the one person the focus where the focus should have been. So that's important. She allowed these things to become a distraction to her. She was doing the right thing maybe by serving everyone, but she had shifted her attention from the greater important thing, the greater to the less important things. Sitting at his feet, listening to him. There's nothing more important than that. That You'll still get the other things done you need to do. Well, Jesus realized that you get so surrounded by busyness and activities and things going on that it, it just eat away at you. And you just wouldn't be able to accomplish very much at all. And your mind, you just get, I, you know, sometimes I just feel like my brain gets tired. I just, you know, it's just, I just, it's, I think there's a weariness of just so much going on. Jesus realized that with his disciples. In, in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it's, they says, uh, it says, come aside by yourselves, talking to his disciples, to a deserted or to a quiet place for a place of refreshing. Now, people were coming and going all the time. They probably didn't have time to eat a lot of times. And that people were just always coming there for ministry, coming there to hear Jesus. And all this activity and things going on, Jesus recognized that in the business of even doing good things, there needs to be a break. You don't need to let that crowd in on you spiritually emotionally or mentally, and he says, it's time. Now, now, think about that. With our religious mindset, we say, now wait. They were walking away from people, people who needed healing, people who want, wanted to learn and grow, people who came there for ministry, and he says, we need to get away for a while. But that sometimes in our religious mind doesn't seem, it seems to be insulting. And why would he... Why would he do that? Because the truth is, if you keep that particular schedule, even in religious things, even in these important things of, of sharing the gospel and ministering to other people, you can, you can get so involved and so busy and wrapped up in that that it does wear you down and it does drain you spiritually. And unless you stay in this place of refreshing, unless you pull away for a while and have that quiet time and have that quiet place, you're going to lose that energy. You're going to become weary and tired and you're, going to, you're not going to be very much used to anyone anyway. So you need to rethink. You need to fill that tank up if you're going to be helpful. So in order for them to be, uh, to be more productive in touching the lives of people, they needed this time. We need those kinds of times. The second thing is we're distracted by circumstances in our life. We're distracted by circumstances. It can be sickness, pain, distracted by financial situations maybe. Just distracted by a lot of circumstances going on. Oftentimes fear is involved in this particular one. <laughs> you know, many times we've, we've, we've connected with this story of Peter walking on the water in Matthew chapter 14. It's, and and it's, it's so rich because there's so many tremendous truths in that one little account of what happened that night. 
And we know that they've been involved in ministry and Jesus told his disciples, he says, you need to get in the boat and get out to sea for a while and I'm going to go pray for a while and I'll come see you, I'll come meet up with you. So Jesus does, he goes and prays and then he comes to meet up with them about three o'clock in the morning while it's dark and while the storms are about to blow the little boat over there and he comes in the turbulence, winds and the waves, they look out and they see something crossing, walking on the water and they think it's a ghost and it scares, almost scares them to death, but literally they're terrified. And then Jesus says, oh, don't be afraid, it's just me. Realize there's a little southern translation here, but that's pretty much what he says. Hey, it's me, it's me guys, don't be worried. And here's Peter. Here's Peter, the one that oftentimes spoke before he thought very much. And he said, oh, Jesus, if it's really you, then just let me come to you. And Jesus basically said, come on. Now, it wasn't just a little flat boat. These pretty good sized boats they were in. So he had to come over the side and get, you know, he dropped over the side and I can't imagine. Now, some people think this is a fairy tale, but this is actually true. See, it happened. Can you imagine when his feet hit the water? Can you imagine what that was? Now, I know that my thoughts sometimes just get really involved in the little things in these accounts of these stories, but I can't imagine how he must have felt. He was looking at Jesus, and there he was standing on the water. We don't know how far away Jesus was, but we do know that there was a storm going on. And he begins to walk toward Jesus. And he's making, he's making progress for a while instead of it's like, you know, wait, wait just a minute. This is not supposed to happen. I'm not supposed to be able to do this. Jesus, yeah, maybe he can do I'm not supposed to be able to do this. And look what's happening around. Look at the storm. Look at the wind. Look at what we're in the middle of. And what in the world am I doing out here? He was distracted by all the other things going on around him. And when he took his eyes off of the most important thing, he began to sink. And so when he said, called out for help and got his mind, his direction back on the most important one, then Jesus lifted him up and saved. So there, there, there are things, listen, Jesus said in this world, in this life, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be junk. There's going to be things going on. Stuff you have to deal with. Stuff you need to face. Stuff you know that through him you can overcome. It's there. It's going to be there. Things are not going to be perfect around you. Even when you come to know the Lord and serve him with all your heart, you're going to encounter difficulties and the enemy is going to be coming against you and the world system itself is going to be against you. But we don't cow down to that. We don't bow down to that. We just simply say, no, 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 no. I know that through him, I am an overcomer. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I can depend on him. So no matter what circumstance, we all face different kinds of circumstances that try to sink you, try to pull you down. But whatever circumstance you are facing, even today, I want you to be encouraged by the fact that it's, it's trying to distract you. It's a distraction in your life, but it's only a distraction Now's the time for you to focus on the Lord, call upon Him, get your attention where it needs to be, put these things behind you, reign over them, rule over them. And you can do that. You can do that. The third thing is sometimes we're just distracted by stuff, by things. 
We're distracted. It's by things, by material things, by toys, by things. And look, I believe our Heavenly Father desires to bless His children. I believe it's the Father's heart to bless His children. And I believe He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I believe He wants to bless you and me more than our minds can actually imagine. He's not opposed to you having things. He's opposed to things having you. He wants your life to be abundant and overflowing. The scripture is quite clear about that. We've lived without and sometimes in poverty unnecessarily because we just not trusted him and had faith to believe him for those things. But when our mind and focus is drawn to the things rather than to him, then we have a problem. So sometimes those things are distracting to us. You know, one of the parables is the parable of the sower and the seed. And he talks about the sower sowing the seed, the seed being the word of God, God's truth. And he says it's sown on different types of soil. And depending on the type of soil, the seed will come up or not come up or be choked. And then he says, the truth of this is that the seed is my word and the soil is your heart. So when the seed is sown into your life, when the word comes into your heart and life, what do you do with it? How open are you to it? To it? What kind of soil is your heart? How receptive are you to that word? According to, you know, it depends on how receptive you are as to how that word will work in your life. Some people have the idea if they just hear the word that that's good enough. It's not. Some people have the idea if they just read the word. It's good enough. It's not. Some people have the idea if they put it on their refrigerator uh, or on their mirror that that's good enough. But it's not. All those things are good and well. But here's where you got to put the word for it to change you inside of you. You got to put the word inside of you. Now, having them before you all the time and reading them and studying them and hearing them, that'll help you do that. But you can do all those things and still not get it inside of you and say, that's mine. That's for me. That word works for me now. You got to appropriate it. That's what makes all the difference in the world. So, the seed, some of the seed here, according to Mark, it's the, some, the cares of the world and deceitfulness or the lure of wealth and the desire for other things would come in and choke the word so that that fruit could not produce. Oftentimes, the, getting our attention on just things, on finances, worrying about those sorts of things can distract you and interfere with your life in following the Lord. And we don't want those things to be a distraction. They're to be a blessing in our life. Not a distraction. And Jesus gives us the key in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Verse 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. See, the kingdom of God, put the, seek, put the kingdom of God First, above all things, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The fourth distraction we look at is a distraction of religion. Distraction of religion. That, that sounds really strange, especially coming from a pastor, that he would say that religion can distract you. But religion can distract you because we know about a relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship through Jesus Christ. We know that. But how often people have allowed their church activities 
their church dogma, their church positions, their church traditions actually interfere with their spiritual growth. It's sad, but it's true. What happens is they substitute those things for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that's not new. It's been done over the ages. The church, in some cases, can actually almost become a, an idol to some people, strange as that may seem. It's all about their church. It's all about what position they have. It's all about, it's, it, it's all about the business, doing those things. And look, we, we, we're grateful for all the people that, that minister in different areas in this church on Sunday morning and other days. And many of you do. And we've got people scattered over this building. They're doing that right now. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But we want everyone that's in those places doing that, that doesn't monopolize your mind. You're not doing that for the job's sake. You're doing that to honor Him. That's all the difference in the world. Well, I've got to run the camera this morning. Or, well, I've got to be in nursery this morning. Or, well, I've got to teach a class this morning. That's not what this is about. It's not about I have to, it's about I get to. It's about having a heart to serve him. It's about coming to a place to where you say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not tied up in just the things and traditions of mankind and religion. I want to be absorbed by a relationship with you. And when that becomes your motive in the church, it becomes delightful, it becomes a joy, and not something you dread or feel obligated to do. Well, the Pharisees kind of had a hang up there. Let's look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. You live in translation. It says, what sorrow awaits, or most versions say, woe to you. It says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees and hypocrites. Now, Jesus was pretty direct. <laughs> he says, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you won't let others enter either. They allowed their religion, the law, the man's traditions, they allowed all their religious activities. They prayed in order to be seen by others. It was all a religious activity to them and nothing about a relationship with God. That can happen in churches today. I know it's true. Even those of us who love the Lord and will follow the Lord and know these things, if you're not, if you need to be cautious because you find yourself Moving in that direction to where your mind is more, and the pastor has to do this, has to continue to be on guard that your mind moves more toward church and the things of the church and the activities and the planning and the schedule and even the people of the church rather than him. It's just one thing, you see. All these other things will be taken care of if you remember the one thing, the most important thing. I found myself over the years substituting preparation or maybe preparing to teach on a Sunday or some other time, I found myself with that absorbing much of my time of actually prayer and time with the Lord. Because, I mean, I spent a lot of hours every week. It's, and oftentimes I found that my, my attention and my purpose in doing that was just to get ready to preach and have something to share on Sunday morning. It wasn't primarily about being with Him. So it can happen to us. Everything we do in ministry has to be about Him, not about the thing that we do. It's about Him. Now, that's, a, that's, that's a, actually a stronger statement than what some of us hear, I think. You see, they were so intent on their religion that they missed the Messiah Himself. And I read about another church in Revelation chapter 2. It's talking about the church at Ephesus. 
And here's what the revelator, here's what Jesus is saying through John here on Revelation chapter 2, through, through, the book, through the book of Revelation. He says, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested them, those who say they're apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. So it was a discerning church. It was a hardworking church. It was a patient church. It was a forbearing church. Well, that sounds like a pretty good church to me. And he goes on and says, and you have persevered and had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now that sounds pretty admirable to me. But then Jesus, we have the message, the revelation given to us, verse four, through the message, through the messenger. Nevertheless, you've done all these things, but nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. They were so busy in doing all these things, admirable things, things that you would think the church needs to be doing. And they said, you've got a problem with this because your heart's not in it. You've got a problem because you're doing all these things and you're missing me. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. Think about you and think about that. Just think about that. This is not to point a finger at anybody, but think about that. That can happen to us. We don't have to let it happen to us. I mentioned four things we're distracted by. The fifth thing we're distracted by is by relationships, but that'll have to be next week. I, I felt impressed the Lord that I need more time to talk about how relationships can take you to your destiny or how they can distract you from your destiny. We're going to talk about that next week, the Lord willing. So how do we deal with distractions in our lives? How do we get delivered from them? How do we defeat this thing of being distraction in our lives? Well, let me give you just a few little very quick pointers. Number one, turn them off. I know that's profound. <laughs> turn them off. I put in parentheses on my notes, limit them. Because I understand in our society, some people would panic if they didn't have their cell phone with them all the time. And understand they can be very useful. These tools can be very useful, but they can be very dominating also. So what I'm saying is things like internet, things like any other media we have, even television, you and I must learn to guard over that. We must learn to limit it. It, make, it takes a decision. It takes effort. But if you're ever going to get free from a lot of distractions that just usurp your time, then probably you're going to have to do a little self-evaluation and turn some things off, at least limit your time with them. Very important. Number two, plan your day. <laughs> I know for some of you that sounds kind of ridiculous. Look, you don't know my family and my kids, and I don't ever know what's going to happen. I don't ever know what's going to happen during the day. I don't work out to plan my day. Do your best. Look ahead and pray about it and look at your day. A lot of times it's good to do the most difficult things first. That'll help you tackle them first. Prioritize your time. You know, I, I, I'm a list maker. I make lists. 
And I told you this before, just to feel good about it a lot of times, <clears throat> I'll make a list during a day and I'll go ahead and write the things I've already done that day and check them off. <laughs> the Bible talks about encouraging yourself in the Lord and so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I see. I'll go ahead and check that off. I've already done that this morning. Uh, but be careful because your list can distract you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, 16, the Bible says in the New Living Translation, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity. And listen, once certain opportunities are gone, then many times they're just gone. And so there are things sometimes that remind us of how important it is every day to make the most of every opportunity. Did y'all, y'all agree with that? I knew you did. And thirdly, sometimes it's just good, and here we go again. We hit on this from time to time. I don't know why. It must be that we need this. <laughs> Remove physical clutter. Remove clutter in your life. Clutter doesn't have to be just things, stuff, junk. Sometimes we clutter our minds. Sometimes, you know, we clutter, have clutter in our emotions. But remove these unnecessary things, physical clutter. Beware of multitasking. (laughs) Now, everybody knows that women can multitask, but men cannot multitask. (laughs) Boy, that got more of an amen than anything I said today. (laughs) God made us differently. We all know that technically, when you study the brain, you remember this from our previous studies, when you study the brain, that only men have a nothing place in their head. Only, women don't have that. It's, I mean, that, this has been studied. So women don't get upset when a guy, you say, what do you think about it? I say, nothing. They can't help it. God made them that way. Sometimes you and I, guys, we just need to be in our nothing place just for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have a little bit more about to say about that next week. Women can, you know, they can multitask better than we can. But here's the thing. If you're a multitasker, here's here's important. Learn to be fully present where you are. You know the phrase we used to say, wherever I go, there I am? You know, that's astounding, but it's true. Wherever you go, there you are. And the the, the thing is, is that, that we can get so... Well, the bad, the kind of negative term is scatterbrained. But you can get so in a place to where you're thinking about so many different things that you're not there. Where where I identify most with that, and I've shared this before, excuse me for repeating it, where I identify the most with that is being with my children as they grew up. Oh, I cherish the time I had with the kids while they're growing up. And we had some wonderful times. I'm thankful for every one of them. But as they all got older, I began to think back and look at some of those times and realize being in the ministry and oftentimes working another job, sometimes going to school, working another job, and in ministry. There's a lot of stuff going on while you're raising little kids. And without realizing it, you find that all these things on your mind while you are with your kids. So I realized looking back, there was a lot of times that I was with my kids, but I wasn't totally with them. Sometimes it was, Daddy, Daddy, hey, Daddy, hey, Daddy. 
they needed to be me to be present there. Be present where you are. And this will help some of you parents. Be present where you are. Important. Well, the very last thing we'll say before we go today is um, there's a lot of different ways I could put it, but I just say learn to keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, rely on the Holy Spirit to help you. You can't do this without learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. You need that daily guidance from the Holy Spirit to help you sort through and discern and do the things that we've talked about doing this morning. We need to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I believe your word says that my steps are ordered by you. I believe that. Give me wisdom, Holy Spirit. Help me to sort through and do those things that are important today. Help me to take time with you and put you first in every situation. Holy Spirit, lead me. You're going to learn to allow the Holy Spirit to help you keep the main thing, the main thing, and Jesus and the message of salvation is always the main thing. His love for others is always the main thing. Don't let the noise of the world keep you from hearing the voice of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, first part of verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. The Amplified Bible says, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind, keep focused habitually on the things above, heavenly things, not on things that are on earth, which are only temporary anyway. And can I leave you with this last verse, which I think is a powerful verse from Proverbs. Proverbs is tremendous wisdom and teaching in it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, the Amplified Bible says, let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Consider well and watch carefully the path of your feet and all your ways will be steadfast and sure. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's stand this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord. It's fun and it's challenging to look at some of these things that are just life. It's just kind of things that all of us face pretty much every day of our lives. And yet, some of these things can be used as a part of the scheme and the tactics of the enemy to try to draw you away from the things that are important and try to keep you from experiencing the purpose and the plan of God in your life. They'll eat away at your time and your thoughts. And God wants us to learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit and learn to take these practical steps to become more focused in our life. Can you receive that this morning?